Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Good morning. Welcome to Westminster Chapel. My name's Andy. I'm on the team here helping to do bits of our debt counselling and other stuff um, like that. It's so good to have you along. If this is your first time with us, um, then you are at the end of our four-week series on rest, on Sabbath, on being still in the sort of chaotic life that is often around us in the busyness of life. Um, But don't worry, you haven't missed it because you can catch up online if you want to. Howard has written some really good blogs on the topic. He's put some links there to great resources that you can explore more about this topic that we've been exploring over four weeks. For me personally, it's been transformative. And actually, this message is really me tying together a few strands, a few strings to sort of make sense of and bring it all to a head at the end. And really, it's another commissioning service. It's me saying, what are we going to do about this reality that we've learned? So the messages have been called Stop, Look, Listen, and then this one is Live. How do we live this out? So as I've been reading, as I've been looking at this topic of Sabbath over the last four weeks, I've also been combining it with the topic of Exodus. As you read through Scripture with eyes to see, and I've, I've got a really good book called The Echoes of Exodus, and you, you just start to see it all over the place, the Exodus theme. And now that might not make sense to you if you're new to all of this, and that's absolutely fine. I'll try and explain. But as I've been reading through this Exodus theme, I've been seeing some dramatic things opening up through Scripture. And all of this that we've been looking at, still knowing Sabbath, rest, all of that really ties into everything to do with Exodus. I've really come up against three big headlines that I've noticed in Scripture. Two negative, one positive. So the first negative one is that anywhere can become like Egypt. That's not Egypt now. Egypt in the Bible times, Egypt throughout Scripture, is really symbolic as a place of oppression, of overwork, of slavery, where people cannot rest and they cannot stop and they cannot relax, where that freedom is stolen from you anywhere can become like Egypt, and in and of that, anyone can become like Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the leader, he is the oppressor of Egypt, and anyone can become like that if they forget the grace of God in their lives. That's the theme throughout Scripture, but the good news is this, the third headline, God never abandons his people, he loves to rescue, and he is able to rescue his sheep. The Bible calls God's people his sheep or his flock. So I'm just going to do a brief overview of the Exodus using this terrible slide behind me. I made it. It wasn't someone else. Um, Using this slide to kind of illustrate the big theme of Exodus. And then I challenge you when you're reading Scripture, look for this happening all over the place, and you'll be amazed 
So, in essence, God's flock, God's sheep are enslaved. They're held captive in a land. And in the Exodus story, it was literally Egypt. So they are in captivity. Then God, when they are crying out for help, sends in a shepherd called Moses to come and round up his sheep and bring them out of that slavery into freedom. Then God leads his sheep into green pasture, which in the book of Exodus is called the promised land. And they enter into the promised land, and God gives them rest. He offers them, he invites them into rest under his guidance, under his leadership. And one of the things he introduces in order to really bring that together is a day of Sabbath. The Sabbath day represented freedom. It was all about stopping work for a full 24 hours in order to remind themselves that they were no longer under the slavery of Egypt. It was an incredible day. It was designed for all of God's sheep to be refreshed and revitalized, every single one of them. That was the point of the Sabbath. And then God instituted leaders or shepherds to try and care for the flock and keep them in this freedom. And David is an example of that. He's a decent shepherd. Um, He makes mistakes along the way, but he's the highlight, I guess. But as you read through Scripture, what you see is a tragic spiral downwards. As God's leaders, his appointed kings of his people, end up becoming oppressors themselves. They see power. They see money. They see the potential for influence, and they take what God gave as good, like the Sabbath, and they use it against people. And they turn the whole situation so that the poor, the outcast, the outsider are oppressed and kept down, are heavy laden, and are wearied and burdened. That's really the message of the Old Testament, that God saves his flock out of Egypt, gives them good land, brings them into rest, and then the leaders, when they forget God's grace, turn and oppress his people. And that doesn't change. If we move forward hundreds of years, we find the same situation in the passage that's going to be read to us right now. So in your Bibles, you'll find Bibles in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you can take one home with you. Um, See if you can find Matthew chapter 10, or no, Matthew chapter 11. It's page 976. And as you're turning there, I'll just give you a brief introduction. It's helpful when you're reading passages of Scripture to know which section it comes in within the whole letter or the whole book. And this one really starts out in Matthew chapter 10, and it's very interesting. Jesus introduces himself as the good shepherd in another letter. Jesus, who calls himself the good shepherd, then appoints new leaders. And this is what he says to them. He says, go out and find the lost sheep of Israel. Go and gather up the lost sheep of Israel, because when oppression happens, people scatter. He's saying to his leaders, go and find the sheep, the lost sheep of Israel, bring them back to me, but, here's the warning, but I am sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. So with that in mind, we're going to go to the end of chapter 11, and Sean's going to read to us from verse 28. So it's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 9. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Give her a round of applause. Did you notice the apparent shepherds of Israel were unwilling to lift a human being out of their misery, but were willing to lift their own livestock, their own sheep. Jesus is a genius with his wording uh, and the euphemisms that he uses throughout Scripture. But here's my question. Who here dislikes it when people don't play by the rules? Raise a hand. If someone cheats at Monopoly, if someone uses different rules at Werewolf um, or card games or anything like that, who dislikes that? The irony is, the girl who's just read to you is the worst cheat in the whole. <laughs> Apart from me. We were playing cards yesterday and <laughs> people discovered this very quickly. <laughs> in this story, the Pharisees are getting really upset because Jesus doesn't seem to be playing by their rules. In Exodus... God gave the Ten Commandments, and included in those is the instruction or the command, you must not work on the Sabbath. But what does that mean? How do you apply that into your day-to-day -day life? How, do, how does a community work out what exactly that means? That was the big question of the Jewish tradition and the Jewish culture. So many Jews, especially the leaders, over many years came up with traditions and rules that they added on top of that command in order, they would say, to help people obey the law of God, to help people live a righteous life. They would have pitched it very positively. This is enabling you to live the life that you're meant to live and be righteous. But that is not how Jesus sees the extra rules that they've added on top. 
Jesus later on in Matthew's gospel says this about these extra rules that the Pharisees, as a tradition and as a culture, had added on top of the law. He says, watch out for the Pharisees because they tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear and they lay them on people's shoulders. They cause people to be heavy laden by adding the rules that they do on top of God's law. Now, Jesus is not saying that he disagrees with the Sabbath command. He is saying that he disagrees with their further interpretation of what it means. And why is he so anti it? Why is he so confrontational on the Sabbath? It's because their extra rules were doing the exact opposite of what the Sabbath was meant to do. The Sabbath was meant to be a time where people, everyone, was refreshed and rested. It was the time when the poor and the powerless, the outcast, and those in society who had not much freedom were suddenly given a day where they were not forced to work, where they could rest with everyone else, where they could remember that they were as valuable as anyone else in that society, where the rich could not oppress the poor. That was the point of the Sabbath. But these guys had taken hold of it and used it for their own ends. And the Pharisees were really leading the charge in this. And Jesus was strongly against them. The Pharisees had become like Pharaoh, and Jerusalem had become like Egypt. And what's the effect when this happens? What, what occurs when people become oppressive in a religion? You don't get more righteousness. When you heap on rules and expectations and interpretations, you don't get more righteousness in a community. You get more outcasts. You get more prodigal sons. You get more sinners as you push people to the edges of community. Some of them bear the burden and just hide away and just obey, but some of them just run away. Now, does that happen today? Could that possibly happen today? Well, ironically, it was sort of helpful sermon prep. Someone, I had someone uh, invite me to their church a couple of weeks ago. I was just wearing sort of normal T-shirt and shorts. And they said, we'd love you to come to our church, um, but you can't dress like that. Now, it can be said in quite a positive way. Hey, you wouldn't dress like that for the queen, so why dress like that for the king? Or Sunday's the most important day of the week. Where does it say any of that in the Bible? Where does it say that you have to wear your Sunday best? Where does it say that you have to dress up specially for Jesus? I even saw it in a documentary recently on iPlayer about young people who are getting really excited about church who've been pushed aside. But... Uh, there was a clip of all of them putting all their makeup on and the nicest clothes and everything, and then they said, well, you have to look good for God, don't you? It might sound trivial. It might sound like a silly little unimportant thing, but Paul says in Galatians, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. A tiny bit of yeast infects the entire block of dough and gets everywhere. And this is the truth, one rule upon another rule, upon another rule upon another rule, and slowly you're putting one brick on top of another brick on top of another brick, and you're creating a religious pyramid scheme. 
where the only people that benefit are the, are the rulers, the, the leaders who are coming up with the instructions and the rules. There's nothing wrong with wearing your best clothes on a Sunday. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But please, let's not ever make that an expectation or a qualification for someone to come to Jesus when he didn't. Jesus never said, come to me all who wear their Sunday best and are clean shaven and I will bless you. He said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. The only clothes that you need to wear in God's presence are the robes of Jesus' righteousness that he gave up for you when he was clothed in your sin on the cross. That's the only thing we should expect someone. That's the only thing God expects, is someone who's put their faith in him can enter into his presence because they're completely clothed in Jesus' righteousness, in Jesus' spotless garments, and they're like that no matter what physical clothes they're wearing. True rest comes from being in the right relationship with your creator, and that comes not by running through moral mazes or jumping over holy hurdles, it comes from Jesus, comes directly from him. And as we've been going through this series, this has been the point of still knowing. We're not doing a still knowing series so that people come in and follow our rules and become more like us. The point of still knowing is facilitating people finding Jesus and becoming more like him. That's been the emphasis. That is the core of what we've been doing over this series. That people would stop and still themselves so that they find Jesus and they experience all of his blessing. That's what Jesus is inviting us into throughout, this, throughout these series. But actually, like I said, this is a commissioning message. This is as you go out because this isn't just the job of the preachers on a Sunday. Of course it is emphasizing Jesus, but it's every single one of us. Whether that's you're an alpha table leader on our coming alpha, uh, alpha course, is the emphasis going to be on what Jesus has done for your guests or what your guests need to do in order to become a Christian? Or in our Sunday school teaching, are we just raising kids saying, well, this is just what Christians do and this is just what Christians don't do? Or are we explaining why? Are we taking them to Jesus? Are we valuing them enough to give them the scriptures and say, look, here it is. Listen to Jesus yourself. The problem is he sometimes doesn't tell children to do certain things we would like to tell them to do. Or life groups. Life groups. Are there a place? Are your life groups a place where everyone can learn from Jesus rather than just try and behave? This is the emphasis of this message. I think this is why it's so significant. It's always got to start with what Jesus has done for someone before it becomes about what we then therefore do. And for me, this has been so impactful in this church. When I joined around this time six years ago, I was a mess, and you might be looking at me, and some people probably are thinking, you're still a mess, and we know that, but I'm less of a mess, trust me. And that's not because people heaped rules on top of me, but they valued me as an individual. They saw me lying in a ditch on the side of the road, kind of, and they were willing to get their hands dirty and lift me out and say, look, 
They, they were willing to call sin, sin. That's important. You've got to be able to actually speak about sin where Jesus speaks about it. But don't call things sin that aren't sin. And also be willing to sit with people and hear them. Let them ask their questions. That's what happened to me. I am so grateful of the way that I was treated as I came into this church, not knowing anything, having been an atheist, and just being allowed to work through this. And Jesus changes you over time. We want the chapel to be a place of rest, where people can experience this for themselves, where they can experience Jesus. We have to be aware that we can become like Pharaoh. We can turn a place into Egypt if we forget the grace of God in our lives. Even Westminster Chapel could if we forgot the grace of God. It would. But it won't because we will hold on to that. Jesus is central. His Holy Spirit is here and he works in us. He's working in us to remind us of God's good grace. But here's the dilemma, and moving on to the second part, there's just two parts to this message. First is a way to life. Jesus is the way to life, and he's always the way to life. Not rules, not holy hurdles or anything like that. But now the way to live. Because the reality is, outside of these walls, we are all going to encounter situations that feel like Egypt and people that feel like Pharaoh. It might be your boss. It might be your colleagues. It might be the culture you're in at university. It might be even your friends or your family who are actually making efforts to try and steal the rest away from you. And what I mean by that is, it's the thing that Jesus gives you for free. People steal that from you and then try and get you to work for it. So think about things like this. Freedom from guilt. Jesus gives you freedom from guilt by dying for every sin you've ever committed. But there are some places and some parents and some situations where actually... Someone has to work in order to stop feeling guilty. They have to do things in order to stop feeling guilty. Or there are situations where certain people, because of, I don't know, their skin color, their class, their gender, whatever it might be, feel less than human, feel less important than other people around them. Some cultures, some situations create that environment, and that's an Egypt environment. How do we live in those environments and not be oppressed and not be heavy laden? Well, this is where it comes to Jesus' yoke. He says these famous words, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm going to say that once more, but change the emphasis of certain words, because I think this is what Jesus is doing. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I've slightly labored the point, but I think what Jesus is saying is everyone out there Everything out there is trying to teach you how to live. And everyone out there and everything out there is trying to teach you how to live and giving you a promise. If you live this way, then you will get, I don't know what it might be, inner peace or, or uh, relaxation or a sense of achievement or a sense of significance. Any of those things that Jesus gives you for free. These yokes are all over the place. And Jesus is comparing himself to all of them. 
And he's saying, they will not deliver on their promises, but I will. They will not deliver on their promises, but I will. It's a bit like, I don't know if you come out of Victoria Station and there's all the different tour guides out there, different tour companies, um, all in different clothes, but they're all, all offering you, all promising you the best experience of London. Come on our tour and you'll get the best experience of London. But it reminds me of a woman in Prague when I, I, went, I tried to go on a, a tour in Prague and this lady promised me, the lady behind, promised us that she would give us the best experience of Prague. And we discovered within 10 minutes that this was clearly not going to be true as we were walking straight past all of the main exhibitions and the main monuments in Prague. And every time we walked past, she just went, hm, I don't like it, and carried on walking. <laughs> People can promise something but not deliver. And there are yokes all over the place. Be true to yourself. Love yourself. Creates a wonderfully selfish generation. Do yourself proud. Do your parents proud. Creates crushing expectations. There's the five, I quite like this, being married to a Singaporean. There's five C's of Singapore. In order to be a successful Singaporean, apparently, and I know it's a caricature, but they're the five C's. You've got to have cash, you've got to buy a car, you need to get a credit card, then buy a condo, which is a nice house, and then be a member of a country club. And once you've stepped through these things, once you follow those rules, then you feel important and significant in society. Or the Instagram favorites, you only live once, live your best life now. Up against all of these, Jesus is saying, my yoke is easy. I will give you rest if you take it on you. But you will have to take off any other yokes. Now, you might be listening to this and you, you might be fresh to this and you might be saying, well, okay, Jesus is probably good for some and not good for others. And I would just encourage you to come on Alpha because one of the claims he makes in this story is that he is Lord of the Sabbath. He is greater than the temple in Jerusalem back then. What he's doing is he's claiming to be the God who created you. But I, I don't have time to explain it now, but I would invite you to Alpha. Alpha is a wonderful place to explore these claims of Jesus. But I am going to move on to what is Jesus' yoke and what does Jesus' yoke look like? And for this, Leslie has kindly made me <laughs> a lovely yoke, which he is going to wear with me. Oh... Right. <laughs> a yoke was like handcuffs for the neck. Jesus doesn't say, my yoke is easy to put on. He says it's easy when it's on, by the way. And I think there's significance in that. Come on, are you wearing it properly? I think so. All right. All right, we're, ti we're, we're tied in. So this is a yoke. It's when two cows... Stop taking photographs. It's when... <laughs> It's when two ox are attached together, and when one moves, the other has to move. <laughs> and when they stop, the other has to stop. Three things are what it means that we take on Jesus' yoke. If we were to turn this micro microphone off now, my voice would be much louder in his ear than it is in yours. As you're yoked to Jesus, as you're spending time with him, even though everyone else in the world is trying to teach you how to live... Jesus' voice is going to be louder. Jesus' voice is going to cut across where it contradicts. The problem is, many of us are in a fish in water of our culture, and we just don't notice the teaching that's going on. 
But as you spend more time in Jesus' teaching, you do notice that it contrasts with a lot of things that are said out there. That's one thing, what it means to be yoked to him. As you're yoked to Jesus, his teaching is louder than anyone else. And that's why we do Sunday sermons. That's why we have our Equip Academy coming up in a few weeks' time. And that's why we spend time in the Bible as life groups, so that we can hear Jesus' teaching louder than anything else. You all right? Yeah. Good. <laughs> then there's character. You know this. The longer you spend with someone, the more you become like them. The more time I spend with Leslie, the more happy and glad and excited about life I become. But also, if you spend time with it, well, it's bad for him, because if he spends time with an angry and proud individual who sits next to him in the office, he will start to become more and more like that person. That's what happens as we spend time with people. And Jesus says here, I am gentle and lowly of heart. As we spend time with him, our character will start to change. We will become more like him. Sorry, <laughs> I should have checked my notes before. <laughs> and then lifestyle. So there's teaching. Anyone walking in now is thinking, what on earth? <laughs> there's teaching, there's character, and then there's lifestyle. When he decides to walk, you walk. Where he goes, you goes. <laughs> and when you stop, he stops. Jesus says, back then, we will work for six days. We will do all of our work in six days, and then on the seventh day, we will rest, and we will stop, and we will sit down. And then even if Leslie wants to go and play the drums, he won't be able to, because he's yoked. Stop it. Because he's yoked to me. It's a silly illustration, but it does make the point. As you're yoked to Jesus, it will transform your life. All right, well done. Give him a round of applause. You're probably distracted from any of the things I just said. Teaching, character, lifestyle. As we're yoked to Jesus, we become more like him. We hear his teaching more. With the lifestyle point, this is important because it is walking by faith. This might be, students, this might be at the detriment of your exam grades. Possibly. For freelancers, this might be at the detriment of your income. If you hear from God on this, and we're not saying that today has to be your Sabbath or whatever. The New Testament's clear. Some people call Sabbath one day, some call it another. And, and there isn't a strict rigidity to it. But this principle of stopping when Jesus stops and remembering that he's in control of your finances, he's in control of your future, and trusting him with that is living by faith. Because it might not turn you into the next Elon Musk or the next billionaire, because you're not working 24 hours seven. You're walking by faith with Jesus. But here's a question to wrap us up. And it might sound like a curveball, but it makes sense. Why do you bother reading the Bible? Why do you bother reading the Bible? I don't know when you read the Bible, if you do, but why do you bother? Imagine if someone came to you today and said, oh, I've got a really bad headache. And you said to them, well, have you taken any paracetamol? And they said to you, well, I read the instructions on the box. Um, and you say, well, what did the instructions say? Take two tablets every few hours. Okay, so did you take two tablets? 
Well, I read the instructions twice. But did you take two tablets? Well, no, not yet, but I felt slightly better when the instructions told me that I would feel better if I took the tablets. Do you see where I'm going? Why does Jesus say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you? Is it so that we just put it on a mug and read it when we're at work or put it on a nice calendar? Or is it so that we put it into practice and we put it into our lives and we take this seriously? Because his yoke does cut against the yokes of culture. It will look different and it does take effort. But the main point that I wanted to get to is that third headline. God loves to rescue his sheep. He loves to rescue us out of slavery. He loves to do the exodus over and over again. We remember what he has done, but also he does new things in our lives in different situations as we trust him, as we walk with him, as we're yoked to him. He will rescue us from the slavery to approval or achievement. He will rescue us from the slavery to money. He'll rescue us from the slavery to sin or reputation. He rescues us from the slavery to selfishness and brings us into green pastures. That's been the point of this series. So why don't the band come up? And I'm just going to read the rest of the passage where Sean finished. Because this speaks of another exodus that is available to us today. Jesus says this in chapter 12, verse 13. Stretch out your hand, he says to the man with the shriveled hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored. Stretch out your hand was what God said to Moses in the Exodus. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place, just like in the Exodus. He withdraws, and a large crowd follows him, and he healed all who were sick. He warned them not to tell others about him, and this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen. This is speaking about Jesus, and it applies to you. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out, no one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. That might be you today. And it says that Jesus will not break you. He won't snuff you out. He'll bring you back to life until he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Why don't we stand and we'll sing together but I'll pray first. Thank you, Lord, for gathering us from all across the nations to you. And we have experienced this incredible rest that you offer us. We have experienced this freedom from slavery to sin. You've taken us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And God, I ask that you would teach us now, you would guide us by your spirit to walk in the light 
and to experience all of the blessings of this green pasture that you bring us into. Lord, we're so grateful. And we're so grateful for everything that you've said to us over these four weeks. And I pray that we would go forward and live in the light of it. Now, Lord, I pray that any who are bruised reeds or smoldering wicks in here would experience your incredible ministry as you work in them by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how. sermon audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.